You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I love how a word, a concept, an experience like that word empty, it really always kind of carries for a lot of us a very negative connotation. But it isn't like God to be able to take something that really kind of has a negative impact or a negative connotation to take that and just to spin it on its head and say, here's something that's empty that is life-changing, and that is the empty tomb. So I, I love that reminder of how God is able to take oftentimes what may be for us negative thoughts, experiences, words, and God's able to take that and to turn it uh, for good. Uh, for blessing. Theologian, pastor, author, A.W. Tozier once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about you and me is what we believe about God. The reason it's most important is is because it affects every other area, every other facet of your life. It affects how you deal with your past. It affects how you'll face your future. It also affects how you will live and deal with today. What you believe about God influences and it affects every area and facet of your life, whether you believe it or not, whether you recognize it or not. Now, nothing will twist or devalue or deform mankind more than a low or an unworthy conception and understanding of God. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of things in our lives that can really affect and kind of distort our view, our image, our understanding of God. For a lot of us, our upbringing, our family of origin can distort our view of God. Our culture can and often does distort our view of God. The media, Hollywood, again, can and often does distort our view, our understanding of God. Painful experiences have a way of kind of twisting and distorting our view of God. What other people tell us, our own insecurities, our sin, can and does distort our view of God. And we're constantly being inundated with influences that distort our view, our understanding of God. And again, many times we are unaware of its presence, influence, and impact in our lives. Now the problem with with all of that is is when you don't really understand what God is like or who God really is, you kind of fall into one of two mistakes. The first mistake often we make is we uh, just deny him and say, I don't believe in God. I've had people tell me they don't believe in God and I always ask them, tell me a little bit about the God you don't believe in. And they'll say, well, I don't believe in a God who does this or that. I don't believe in a God that that kills uh, babies. I don't believe in a God that allows evil things to happen. And they'll say, you know what? I don't believe in that kind of a God either. 
I would never try to defend a God who really isn't God. I would never try to explain a God who really isn't that way. Sometimes we don't understand who God really is or what he's really like, and out of that misunderstanding, we'll just deny him. The other mistake we often make is we don't, when we don't know what God is really like, is we'll just kind of create our own little God. We'll kind of make God into our image. We'll kind of make God uh, into our likeness. A lot of people have said to me, I like to kind of think of God as kind of a grandfather, a, a gray-haired grandfather who kind of just sits around and, and, you know, kind of dawdles and, you know, every once in a while kind of says funny things or, you know, slips me a dollar, pats me on the head. I mean, again, we just have these images and ideas of God. They have their own description. And whatever you think about God, whatever your opinion about God is, it really doesn't matter. What matters is the truth. And God has revealed the truth of who he is through his word. And again, if you don't have a true biblical understanding about what God is really like, who he really is, what happens is you begin to kind of build your life or you begin to kind of be, uh, build a foundation uh, in life that is faulty. And what happens is, is eventually you're only going to be able to build that so far before it kind of just collapses, implodes upon itself, and often that comes within our first major conflict. So I want us this morning as we celebrate Easter, as we look at the victory of the empty tomb, I want to look at what God says about himself from his own word, the Bible. Because I really believe if people truly understood who God really is, how he reveals himself to us through the scriptures, I believe that they would come to really love him, that they would really come to trust him, that they would really begin to follow him and really want to know, what are your plans and purposes for my life? To me, Easter is one of the greatest victories ever achieved in the history of mankind. And there are a lot of great achievements in the history of mankind, but to me, the empty tomb is the greatest victory by far. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave that we have overcome the penalty and power of sin. Easter is also one of the greatest celebrations because it is a time in which God has revealed himself to us in ways that show how deeply he cares about each one of us. The incredible truths of Easter is that God has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, he has demonstrated in very tangible ways how deeply he cares for each one of us, and he does that repeatedly in countless ways. So today, as we celebrate Easter, I wanna look at a few of those ways. The first way is God cares enough about you to reveal himself. No, there's only one way that you and I would ever know anything about God, and that is if he initiates it. The only way we would ever know anything about God was if he chose to reveal himself to us, and he does. 
He's chosen to reveal himself to you and I in very clear, tangible ways, ways that are easy for us to understand and to relate to and to connect with him. If God didn't choose, if God did not initiate that, if God did not take the first step to know what he is like, none of us would have the foggiest idea about who God is or what he's like, even at our best, even at our brightest, mankind could never, ever conceive of a God like the one revealed in Scripture. For a human being to understand God is like a dog trying to understand a human. Our brain capacity, our, our, our minds are, are not big enough, deep enough, you know, educated enough, bright enough to understand God. It would be like an ant trying to understand you. So the only thing we will ever know about God, and the only way that we will know anything about God, is if he chooses to reveal himself to us in ways that our human mind can understand, relate to, and connect with. And fortunately for us, God wants you to know him. He wants you to know what he is like. He wants you to know how he acts. He wants you to know what he thinks. He wants to have a relationship with every one of us. And so he has dropped these major clues along the way. And he's been very, very clear through that what he is like how does God let us know what he's like? One thing is through creation. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1.20. He says, from the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God has made. They can clearly, now get this, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Now another translation, the message translation, translates this very same verse saying, but the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see, eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. Do you realize you can walk out of this church this morning and you can look up at the sky, you can look at the things around you, and Paul is saying his invisible qualities, his, the, the, the divine nature of God is evident. It's clearly there. Open your eyes. See it. So he's telling us that when we look at the world around us, we can learn a lot about God simply by looking at the things he has created. When God created the world, he made it in such a way that we could see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. For instance, we know through creation, God is organized, right? He's a God of organization. 
because he is a certain alignment of the planets and the axis of the earth tilts at just the right degree so that we don't freeze to death or burn up. And we're just the right distance from the sun so that life on earth is possible. You look at the human body and you just see all of the intricate organization and detail of the human body. We see the seasons on earth, they come and go each year pretty much on schedule, right? You'll see the trees budding in the spring, drop their leaves in the fall, rain in the spring and summer, snow in the winter. There's kind of this pattern of consistency throughout the seasons, year after year after year. The sun always rises in the east, sets in the west every day. There is a consistency to creation. And so one of those things it shows us is that God is clearly organized. We know by nature that God is powerful. Look at the power of God through nature in the sun, the wind, I mean the ocean waves. I mean the power in just a single atom, for instance. We look at a magnificent bolt of lightning, and we saw a lot of that um, this past week, right? We hear, and have you ever just felt that rolling thunder? I mean, where you, you just feel it shake the earth. And we experience the power that God has. We know that God is creative. We know that God loves variety. And he likes many different things. And God has created all of these different species, these different smells, these different tastes, these different colors, because he is revealing himself as a very creative God. We know that God loves beauty. We see the evidence of that in the sunrise, in the sunset, in rainbows, in snow, in the fall, turning of leaves, just to name a few of the ways. Why did God create all of these colors? He could have just said, hey, let's just have everything in black and white. But he didn't. He created all of these colors and he created our eyes to be able to see and to enjoy them. So God loves beauty. We know a lot about God in nature. We know that God has a sense of humor. I mean, have you ever looked at an orangutan or looked at an ostrich? Have you ever really looked at the person sitting next to you? God has a sense of humor. But I want you to know the most important thing you need to know about God can't just be learned from nature. And if that's all that God gave us to know him was just by looking at the world, by looking at creation, do you realize we would have a very, very limited view and understanding of God? So God comes up with another way to reveal himself. And he does this in a way that we could really know, that we could really see, that we could really hear what God is like. Over 2,000 years ago, God came to earth. God stepped out of heaven and onto the very earth that he created. 
so that we could better understand who God is and what he's really like. So here's the thing. If, if God wanted to communicate with ants, he would have become an ant. But because God wanted to communicate, to reveal himself, and to relate to human beings, he decided, I will become just like them. And so he became a human being without sin. Luke 2.32 says this, Jesus is the light who revealed God to the nations. He's saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus you want to know what God sounds like? Listen to Jesus. You want to know how God acts? Watch Jesus. He is the light that came to reveal God to the nations. God came to earth in human form, and his name is called Jesus. And one of the reasons he came was to reveal to us who God is and what he's really like. Again, this is the point, it's the focus of Christmas. We recognize and we celebrate the fact that God chose to step out of heaven to walk upon the earth as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus, we can say that is really what God is like. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You ever just taken a moment just to reflect, to meditate, to think on that one sentence? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Wow, that blows my mind. I, I, I can't even wrap my mind fully around that concept. Jesus Christ came to earth as a human being to reveal what God is like, to reveal him in ways that creation alone was not able to. Because God cared enough about you and me to reveal himself through Jesus, and he does that because he wants you and I to know what he is really like. Not only do we know there is a God, but we also know what he's like. Jesus often told stories to teach truths about the nature, the person of God. And one time Jesus does something very unusual. He tells three stories in a row, one right after another, to make the same exact point. In Luke 15, in rapid fire, Jesus told the same story in three different ways. The first story he told was the story of a lost sheep. And Jesus says there was this shepherd and he had a hundred sheep. And he said one day, one of those sheep gets lost, gets separated from the other 99 safe and found sheep. It gets lost and he says that shepherd leaves the 99 that are found that are safe and he leaves them and he goes in search of the one that is lost. He doesn't just forget about the lost one, say oh well, it doesn't matter, I've still got 99. He goes out and he searches high and low, up and down until he finally finds that one lost sheep. He brings him back home safely and then he, does, he throws a party. 
he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says, hey, come and celebrate with me because this lost sheep is now found. Then Jesus tells a second story about a woman who had 10 coins and she loses one of them. Now it may have been her whole life savings Regardless of what it was, this lost coin sends her into this mode of where she is just searching the entire house. She is looking in every nook and cranny. She's turning that house upside down and shaking it for all it's worth because she's lost a coin and she's not going to stop searching until it's found. She looks in every room and finally Jesus says she finds that lost coin. And she is so excited about finding that lost coin that she too invites her friends and her neighbors and she throws a party because she says the lost coin is now found. Now what's interesting, in every one of these stories, he kind of ups the value of what is lost. And then he comes to the third story and he talks about a lost son. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons And he says, one of those sons comes to the father one day and he says, dad, I want my share of the inheritance. Now, I I know I'll get it when you die, but I can't wait for you to die, okay? So I want it now. And he says, the father gave the son his share of the inheritance. And Jesus says, this kid in the story, he just takes off for a foreign land. And it says, he squandered all of it. Every last penny went to wine, women, and song. So it eventually spends every last penny, and he hits bottom. And this son is living the lowest life that a son could ever live. He's been reduced to feeding pigs. And it says that as he's doing this repetitive chore of feeding these pigs, the Bible says he comes to his senses. He has this aha moment. And he says, you know what? He says, my father has servants who he treats better, that live better than what I'm living here. So I'm going to go back to him, and I'm going to ask him to make me one of his servants. So he goes. And Jesus says in this story that that as he goes, the father has never stopped looking, hoping that one day this lost son will come home. And it says as that lost son is making his way back, the father sees him from afar. And the father doesn't just sit there and wait for the son to get there. It says the father sees him, he gets up, and he goes after the lost son. There was a song a long, long time ago. Uh, It was called The Day God Ran. And the song was all about that story that God ran that day. And he ran to that son and he embraced that son who had been feeding pigs, who I'm sure was full of mud and pig slop. But the father embraces the son. He hugs him. He kisses him. He is so happy to see him. He he calls the servants, bring out a robe, bring out slippers for his feet, put a ring upon his finger that he is now declared to be my son and he can do business again in my name. 
And, and, and he's so excited that he too calls family and friends and he says, come, gather together because that which was lost is now dead. That which I feared is dead is now alive. So what was Jesus trying to teach in these three stories? What, what is the common denominator? The common denominator in every story was something valuable was lost. The lost sheep really mattered to the shepherd. The lost coin really mattered to the woman. And obviously the lost son really mattered to the father. And the point of Jesus telling this story is you matter to God. You really do. God cares for you. He loves you more deeply than you and I will ever understand or realize. And each one of these stories that Jesus told there, he tells those stories again to reveal, to show to you and I how deeply God cares about you and the lengths that God will go to to those who are lost and that he will not give up until you're found. So God cares enough to reveal himself to ways, in, in ways that you and I can relate to, to understand. And secondly, God cares enough to rescue you. Do you realize that God has a plan to rescue those who were lost? And that plan included sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior and to rescue you and I from the penalty of sin and the power of death. Now, oftentimes, we, we don't realize how much we really need a savior, but we do. Because here's the thing. If you didn't need a savior, God wouldn't have sent Jesus he wouldn't have come to earth. He wouldn't have needed to die on the cross for you. He wouldn't have wasted the effort to save you if you didn't need saving. Remember when the angels at Christmas came and they announced the birth of Jesus? One of the things they said was rejoice, be glad. A savior has been born for you in Bethlehem. Mankind, whether we recognize it, whether we realize it or not, we need to be rescued. We needed a savior. And Jesus came to rescue us from at least three things. There's more, but these are the three biggies. First thing is, he wants to rescue each and every one of us from the guilt of our past. I've never, ever met anybody who doesn't carry some level of guilt or shame from their past. Everybody makes mistakes. We, we're all imperfect. We have failed. We have blown it. And the bottom line is, every one of us have broken God's laws. Now, you know when you break man's law, you gotta pay man's penalties, right? And the same is true with God. When you break God's laws, we've gotta pay God's penalty. But God is a just and a loving God. And because he is just, he must satisfy the justice because he can't just let people get away with murder. So every one of us have blown it. We've made mistakes in, in big and small ways. And we deserve to be punished for what we've done. But here's the good news. 
Hebrews 9.15 said Christ died to rescue us from the penalty of our sins. See, somebody has to pay the penalty for the things you've done wrong in life. Either you or somebody else has to take that punishment on. And the good news is, is that God paid it himself. God said, my justice, my righteousness demands somebody pay for the wrong things that have been committed. But he says, my love, my grace, my mercy, it also demands that I pay the price, the penalty myself. Do you realize that would be like me going to jail for a crime you committed? That's the essence of this. Jesus took our place. He took our sins, our mistakes, our failures. And he becomes our rescuer, our deliverer. Every sin you and I have ever committed or ever will commit has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the good news. And all we have to do is recognize it, accept it, repent of our sins, and ask God, forgive me. He wants to rescue you from the guilt of your past. Second thing that Jesus did is he came to rescue us from a meaningless life. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came to give you life, and not just life, but I want to give you life in all of its fullness. You know why he said that? Because most people left to their own devices never really live. They just eke out an existence. They go from job to job, from home to work, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. They're not living. They just exist because they don't know how to live the life God created them to live. Most people, they don't have the foggiest idea of what their purpose in life is. They don't know why God put them here. They don't know what the meaning of life is. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they need to be doing in the meantime. But Jesus said, I have come to rescue you, to deliver you from a meaningless life and to infuse you with a power and a purpose for living that will give you life in all of its fullness. And when you get in relationship with God by trusting and resting in what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, you begin to understand what God's plan is. When you just get right with God, that path going forward, your plan and your purpose becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Third thing Jesus wants to rescue you from is the fear of death. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.12, Jesus sets free those who were slaves all their lives because of the fear of death. The fear of death. It's coming for every one of us in this room. And that's why there is this general, universal fear of death. And partly where that fear comes from is because we know intuitively, we know in our spirit we were created to live forever. We were created in such a way that, that death is an anomaly. It was never to be. 
It's why death is such an affront. It's why it causes such intense grief. It's because we were never designed, we were never created to die. It's why we don't like to think about death. It's why we don't like to talk about death because we know it is foreign to the way we were created as human beings. Don't believe me? Call somebody this week, invite them out for coffee and say, let's get together and talk about death. It's just not a subject most of us wanna talk about, much less think about. But the difference for a Christian, for a believer, is that death is just a transfer from this life to the next. The question is, can you say that you're not afraid to die because you know for certain where you're gonna go when you do die? That's what Easter is all about. Easter answers that very question because through the resurrection, Jesus Christ, he breaks the power and the consequences of sin which leads to death and that is why we can celebrate because he's canceled our sins. He nailed them to the cross. And Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me shall never die. Now, your fleshly body will die and it will go into the grave, but that is not the end of you because your spirit was made to live forever. Now, for the Christian, for the believer, the one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when he or she dies, their body goes into the grave, but it says their spirit man, their spirit being goes to be with God in heaven. And there we are joined with him and we're joined with other believers and there we await the time when Jesus Christ will come back and the scripture says he will raise those in the grave first. They will be resurrected. Those, those dead bodies in the grave will be raised with immortality. And it says we who remain upon the earth at that time, once they are resurrected from the grave, we will be joined with them in the air to meet Jesus and that we will be with him for all eternity. And God made every human being to last forever. And here's the sobering reality of that, is that every one of us are gonna last forever somewhere. Every one of us in this room, you are going to last forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. Now people say, oh pastor, you, you don't really believe in hell, do you? I do, because Jesus did, and Jesus taught about that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said more about hell than he said about heaven, if that gives you any idea about how much Jesus thought about that and how important that was to him to tell us. The Bible says heaven and hell are very real places. And Jesus Christ came to earth to die 
for your sins, to go to the cross for every wrong, every fault, every failure, doesn't matter how great or small those are. I'll tell you what, I get this all the time. There are people in this room right now, you think that you have committed a sin that is so great, that is so atrocious, that, it, that is so haunting, that if any of us ever knew about that, we would say to you, that is one sin God will never forgive. That is one mistake God can never erase. But the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful that there is no sin known to mankind that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse any race. Jesus did everything that he could do, everything that was possible to do to get you and I to heaven. Even suffering dying on a cross. Do you understand the lengths he went to to rescue you? God has done all that he can do to get you to heaven, to pave the way, to give you the access to go from death to life. He's done everything that he can possibly do. The only thing left is for you and I to recognize that, to receive that, to thank him for that, and to receive that free gift of salvation. Ask God to forgive us of our sins. Ask Jesus to become Lord and Savior of our lives, that we would surrender our lives, that we would give our lives to him and say, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say. God, is, God has done all he can do that if God were to do any more, it would involve violating your free will, and he's not gonna do that. He came to rescue you, and that rescue involved great sacrifice on his part. That reveals how desperate, how much he cares about you, how much he loves you, how much he wants a relationship with you. I don't know any other way that he could demonstrate that other than giving his life for you and me. We, we have no idea, we have no comprehension of how much God cares about us. We can't even comprehend it. God cares enough about you. He loves you so deeply that he is willing to reveal himself to you and I, to let us know what he is like, what he has done to give us life, salvation, forgiveness, hope. He cares enough to rescue you from the guilt of your past, from the meaningless life in the present and from the fear of death. This past Monday, uh, it was open turkey season. Um, a lot of you know I like turkey hunting. So Kurt and I were out uh, the day before and we were setting up turkey blinds. And so 
It's always kind of fun. I, I love doing that. And so the place that we went was a new place for me to hunt in this particular turkey blind. And we had four of them that we were trying to set up that day, and so we were trying to get them done uh, rather quickly, and so we, we kind of just set them up, and then we went on to the next one. Now, uh, something that a lot of you know about, and uh, uh, you can ask Janie about this, um, is that I have no sense of direction. Okay, I still get lost in Mason City, and I've lived here for, you know, almost, what, over 20 years now. I can still get lost in Mason City. I just have no internal compass. It's broke, okay? So when we went out to set up this particular blind in a place that I had never been before, what I have to do to give myself a sense of direction is I have to go, because we, when we go into turkey hunt, we go in in dark. I mean, it is five o'clock in the morning. It's just black dark. So for me to go into a place in complete darkness is just an invitation to a nightmare, okay? So we set this blind up Sunday in the light, and I go down to a certain point just to have a navigation in my mind where I need to go, what I'm looking for uh, in the dark, but I, I stopped. I, I did not go all the way, and I should have, but we were, it was a time issue, so I just thought, okay, no problem. So I, I, I knew it was there, um, and so, and I could walk to it in the light, okay? If it was light out, I would have had no problem finding it. So we get there Monday morning. It is pitch black, uh, Kurt goes one way, I, I start to walk, and, and I get to the area that I'd walked to that Sunday, no problem. So I, I cross the fence, and then I start walking, and I walk, and I walk, and I walk, and I turn around, and I walk, and I walk, and I walk, and I walk, and I turn around. I, I kept... I kept doing this. The problem was the sun's starting to come up, and I got to get out of the field, or the turkeys are going to see me, and then this whole, it's just pointless. So as I'm, I'm walking and, and not, not knowing where I'm at, not knowing where I need to go, I am just completely turned around. I'm completely lost at this point. So the only thing that I knew to do, I kind of knew where the truck was, so I thought, I just, need to, I just need to make my way back to the truck. Then it dawned on me. I have hunted this property several years before in a deer stand. And I knew where the deer stand was. So in this place of just complete darkness, just being completely lost, I went to the place I knew, the tree stand. And then I knew from the tree stand right where the blind was. So in my lostness, I went to what I knew to find what I was looking for. Some of you may be lost in here this morning. And life for you right now may be kind of like it was for me on Monday morning. You're walking, you're looking for something, you can't find it. So you turn around and you walk this way and you can't find it. And you turn around and you walk this way, you're looking for meaning, you're looking for purpose, you're looking for value, you're looking for someone to love you and you can't find it. Here's what you do. Go back to what you know. 
The cross, oh, okay, I, I, I know the cross. This is where he died for me. This is one of the places where God declares his value for me. This is one of the places where God shows how deeply he cares for me. And I'm gonna come to this point and all of a sudden, I'll know where I need to go. See, I can come to the empty tomb. I can come to the empty tomb because that tells me something. It, it, it tells me how much God cares about me. It tells me how much God values me. That, that God has a plan and a purpose for my life and I don't need to be lost. Because he sent his son to seek that which was lost so that it could be found. And so for some of you this morning, it, it may be, you know, that, that you've been to the cross, you, you've, you've recognized the empty tomb, and, and, and there was a point where you had a relationship with God, but you got lost again. And that's okay, that happens to a lot of us. We get found, we get right with God, and then sometimes life just happens in crazy ways and, and we get lost and we, we get confused and we begin to kind of lose our way again. Just go back to what you know, the cross. Go back to what you know, the empty tomb. And from then, it will show you the way back. It'll show you where you need to be. For some of you, maybe you've never ever encountered the cross. Maybe you've never really thought about the empty tomb. Maybe you've never really thought about how much God does love and care for you. Maybe this is just a new revelation for you. Maybe you're having kind of a hard time believing it. You're kind of thinking, yeah, I can see how God would love other people, but man, there's just something defective. There's just something deeply flawed about me. And oh, pastor, if you knew what I had done, you would probably agree that there's no hope for me. And I think I would probably be able to say to you this morning, oh, if you only knew my story. If you only knew what I've done, if you've only known the mistakes and failures I've experienced, not just before I became a Christian, but even after I became a Christian. Like I said this morning, the blood of Jesus Christ, it is the most powerful cleansing agent on earth. If you need to get a difficult, stubborn stain out of your life, there's nothing more effective, more thorough than the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So my appeal to you this morning, this Easter Sunday morning, is if you're lost, he's looking. God is looking. As a matter of fact, this morning, if you're lost, whether you've been found and lost again or you've just always been lost, God is looking for you because you matter and he wants to find you and the scripture says that when he finds you there's a celebration that all of the angels in heaven they have this big party because the one that is lost has now been found. So my hope for you this morning is if you're lost for the hundredth time 
or you're still lost and have never been found, I pray you will feel the breath of your heavenly Father on the back of your neck this morning. That he would be saying to you, I am closer than you've ever imagined. And I will never give up. I will never stop looking, searching, or coming after you because that is how much I love you. But what he says also is, I am not gonna get in your way and stop you. I'm not gonna force you. I'm simply gonna come behind you and I'm just gonna continue to follow you to search for you, to look for you, and I want you to feel my very breath on the back of your neck. And I pray you'll feel that until you respond and just simply turn around. That's what repentance is. God is back here breathing out of the neck. Repentance is I just turn around and I embrace the very one who is after me. Father, this morning we just thank you for those three very powerful stories that Jesus told. Lost things matter to you. Whether they're sheep or coins or people, lost things matter to you. And God, in that story, Lord, you just increased the value of that which was lost. The coin was more valuable than the sheep, and the person was more valuable than the coin. So Father, I just thank you this morning, Lord, that through that story, you have revealed your heart to us, who you are, what you're about, your plans and your purposes. And God, you're searching for lost things this morning. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you never give up. You'll never relent. You'll never stop. That God, that we this morning who are lost, that we would just feel your breath on the back of our necks. And Father, I just pray that if there's any who are lost here this morning. That God, they would just stop. They would just turn around and go to the thing that they know. To go to the things that you have done through the cross and through the empty tomb. And in those places, God, you will show us where to go. So we just thank you this morning, Father. We thank you for the purpose. We thank you for the power of Easter. That dead things come to life. The lost are found. The hopeless are given hope. The sinner is received the sins are cleansed. You make us white as snow. 
And so, Father, this morning, I just pray if there are any here this morning that just need to experience your salvation, if they need to experience your grace, your mercy, Paul kind of talks about being able to experience the depths of God's love, that we would be able to experience the height, the depth of it, that we would be able to experience the width of God's love this morning. And I pray, Father, that your love would just touch us in ways it never has, that your love would touch us in deep, meaningful ways, that that love, again, would just draw us, it would woo us to your presence. And we thank you, God, that that is your desire for every person in this room. So this morning, if you're here this morning and you just kind of feel like you're lost. And again, maybe there's just a time that you were walking with God, you were in relationship with him, but this morning you just kind of feel lost. God sees your heart, he hears your cry this morning. And I just pray if that's you this morning, that you would just respond to God's invitation of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, And if you've been lost and you've never experienced that sense of being found, of being able to come home, to have someone rejoice over the fact that you were lost and now you're found, your heavenly Father wants to celebrate with you this morning as you go from being lost to being found. And again, he sees your heart, he hears your heart cry this morning. And so, Father, I just pray that Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, that he stands at the door of your heart and knocks this morning. And he says, if anyone opens that door, responds to that knock, receives that invitation, Jesus said, I will come in and I will dine with him or her and he or she will dine with me. So Father, this morning I thank you because I know you're knocking on the doors of hearts this morning. And Father, I just pray for those that are hearing that knock, Lord, that there would just be a place of humility a place of brokenness, a place of surrendering, that they would open that door and they would invite you to be Lord of their life. And Father, we thank you for this invitation, this opportunity that you have given to each one of us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.